for today is it doesn't have to be your destiny. It doesn't have to be your destiny. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for your hand of mercy, your hand of grace, your hand of provision. We ask that you would provide what is needed for this service, for this time, for these people who are listening and who are hearing. Lord, may we hear your word and may we apply your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, Jabez was more honorable than his brothers. And his mother called his name Jabez, saying, because I bore him in pain. Jabez called upon the God of Israel, saying, Oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my border, that your hand might be with me, and that you keep me from harm so that it might not bring me pain. And God granted what he asked. There is a man who works at New York University School of Business by the name of Adam Adler. And he did a study on the effect of a person's name that it has on their vacations, on life and calling. The actual name of the study he did was nominative determinism or name-driven outcome. He refers to the following names to describe what he means. Listen to the last names and connect those uh, names with the, the thing that the person does. Uh, among those, the world of athletes, you have Anna Smashnova. She's a retired Israeli tennis player. You have Lane Beachley. He's a seven-time world champion surfer. There's Derek Kickett, and he formerly played Australian football. There's Stephen Rowbottom, who's an, America, I mean, an Olympic rower in Great Britain. There's Usain Bolt, who's the present record holder as the fastest man in the world over 100, and 200, over 100 meter and 200 meter distances. Here's some other names. There's Dr. Robert Sharp, who's an orthopedic surgeon out in the Midwest. And then there's a gastroenterologist named Dr. Angel Colon. That might be a name I would change, <laughs> along with the race car driver, Scott Reed. Alter came to this conclusion. Researchers have shown our names take root deep within our mental worlds, drawing us magnetically toward the concepts that they embody. Maybe in another way of saying it, the names that we bear have the power to determine our destiny. This goes along with a quote that I heard from pastor and author Mark Laberton. He's the, the, uh, the president of Fuller Theological Seminary. And he ca I came across this co uh, quote some years ago, and it was in an article that he did for Leadership Journal entitled Leading by Naming. Laberton says this, Every day, our naming of people around us gives life and takes it away. Every day, our naming of people around us gives life and takes it away. He continues on in the article with that by saying this, I can still feel the impact of a highly musical friend who one day called me musical. No, no one had ever called me that. I didn't play an instrument. I was no soloist. Yet, um, yet what made his comment so remarkable was because I instantly felt known and loved. Why? Because I was being named by the way that matters most, from the inside out. He continues on by saying, the musicality of my life, the fundamental and invisible as it is, has to, has to do um, with my soul, not with instruments. It's about my way of being in the world, not about notes being played. The sheer unexpected grace of being named musical stunned me. It's not the most important thing about me, but he got me in a way that noticed and validated and appreciated something deeply true about me, even though it is usually missed. And he wrapped up the article by saying this, being rightly named means being truly known. It changes our lives. So if that's true, then what happens when a good name becomes sullied or blemished or marred? How about this? What happens when someone is poorly named from the day 
of his or her birth. And then they have to live life with that name on their backs for the rest of their lives. This is where we are today when we find ourselves in 1 Chronicles. Our text, which we read earlier, is sandwiched right between the list of generations associated with the 12 tribes of Israel. And as he lists the different people who are a part of the tribe of Judah, the chronicler takes a quick detour and begins to talk about a man named Jabez. We don't know much about him. He has some brothers, so he's not an only child. It says that he was more honorable than his brothers. The word used here for honorable is the Hebrew word kabod, and it means weighty or heavy or glorious or honorable. But further, as I extrapolated it, uh, it carries with it a sense of grievous or being hard. It's significant to our passage that that part of of that word is there because um, I want to submit to you this morning that Jabez was a man who lived his life with a great sense of heaviness. There was heaviness upon him because, first of all, his name was Pain. There was a great sense of heaviness because he spent his life trying to escape the meaning of his name. The text tells us that his mother gave him that name. I bore him in pain, she said. We don't know what led to the pain. However, allow me, if you will, to use my sanctified imagination and just speculate for reasons on why this woman would name her son pain. Maybe the birth of Jabez was extra burdensome and difficult for her. And the hours of labor that she spent might have been so intense and so traumatic that when he was born, she simply cried out, oh, what a pain you were to bring into this world. I want you to remember just how difficult it was to deliver you. I want you to remember the number of hours that I spent bearing down in labor. So every time you get out of hand, I will call you pain. There's no mention of his father. So maybe Jabez came from a single parent home. And the difficulty and challenge of raising sons on her own, uh, doing the best that she could as mama, while knowing that she could never replace the absence of father, was particularly trying for this mom. And for some reason, she projected her grief onto her son. Jabez, I will name you pain as a reminder of what my life is like as I'm trying to raise you by myself. Maybe... Jabez's brothers were such a handful and such a disappointment that by the time he came along, his mother looked at him and cried out, Oh no, not another boy! God, I know this means that the family name is sure to continue, but you know what I've been going through already with these hard-headed rascals that I've been trying to raise on my own and I already have. This is, of course, assuming that Jabez is his youngest and the youngest in the family. The text doesn't tell us that, but that's okay. We're just speculating on what good it could be, remember? Anyhow. Maybe she named him pain to describe her hurt and her disappointment over having yet another son. We don't know exactly why, but what we can determine from the text is this. Mama was in some kind of painful, grieving, depressive state. And she projected that state onto her son when she named him. And Jabez lived with the weight of that name. So he put it upon himself to get rid of the burden of that name. He put it upon himself to try and escape the meaning of that name. He put it upon himself to spend his days and, and, his, and his nights living contrary to what that name meant because in ancient times, your name meant something. And often, a name was associated with a person's character. And who would want their character to be known as pain? 
Jabez wants to escape the pain of his name. And so in desperation, he cries out to God, Oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my border, and that your hand might be with me, and that you would keep me from harm so that it might not bring me pain. And it says that God granted what he asked. Now, at first glance, when you look at this text, you might want to focus on those first words of the prayer. Oh, that you would bless me. You might want to just stop there. But if we simply focused on that part of the prayer as being the key to the passage, the natural question would then be, uh, what does Jabez's prayer reveal about experiencing and tapping into and receiving the blessing of God? And I believe that God is a God who wants to bless his people. But I'd like to submit to you this weekend that taking in the full context of these two verses, the real key to the passage is not found in those first words, but it's actually found in the last six words of verse 10. And God granted what he wanted. You see, as usual, God went deeper than the prayer that Jabez uttered from his mouth, and he went to the prayer that was deep in Jabez's heart which is revealed in the later part of that prayer. Keep me from harm so that it might not bring me pain. So what might not bring me pain? So that my name might not bring me pain. Because up to this point, that's all his name brought him, was pain. Jabez wanted relief from the grief of his name. Jabez wanted the unintentional curse that his mother had spoken over him when she named him, lifted off of him. And he knew the only way that that would happen was through the intervention of the God of Israel. Because simply striving to be better and more honorable than his brothers wasn't doing it for him. Wasn't happening. I want to submit to you that the simple question of tapping into and experiencing the blessing of God is too shallow and too surfacy and too easy when we look at this passage. It goes deeper than that. Maybe the question of the text is this. God, where are you in this story? Maybe another way of saying it is this. God, what is this story really about? I mean, it seems to appear out of nowhere. The chronicler must have been impressed with something about Jabez. Or maybe he was impressed with something about God himself. For him to take a moment and take a detour and put this story in the middle of chronicling about the tribe, about the, the, the generations of Judah. So what's this story really about? I'd like to submit to you that Jabez's story is really about the power of God. Not the blessing of God. Although he was a blessing God. It's about the power of God. Jabez's story is about the power of God first to redeem a name. Power of God to redeem a name. Maybe another way of saying it is this. God has the power to let you see you as he sees you. He has the power to let you see you as he sees you. Now, notice I didn't say this is about the power of God to change a name. I said it's about the power of God to redeem a name. Nowhere does it indicate that God changed Jabez's name or God was going to change Jabez's name. God granted him his request, but his name was still Jabez. This brought up something for me as I looked at it. I wonder why God chose not to change his name. I mean, throughout biblical history, we see God doing just that. As part of his prophetic promise to Abram and Sarai, God changed their names to Abraham and Sarah. 
as part of his transformational work in Jacob, God changed his name to Israel. And upon Simon's confession that Jesus, uh, Jesus was the Christ, his name was changed from Simon to Peter, the woman that we know as the woman with the issue of blood when she got connected with Jesus. She got her name changed from that to daughter. When, when he saved the apostle formerly known as Saul, God changed his name from Saul to Paul. Scripture shows that God often works in changing the name. So why didn't it happen here? Well, first of all, Jabez never asked him to do that. He asked that the Lord would free him from the pain of his name. He didn't ask him to change his name. Free me from the pain of my name. But also consider this. I said God always goes deeper than the surface of what we hear and goes right to the heart. So let's look at that word. Let's go now go back and look at that word bless. Oh, that you would bless me. It's the Hebrew word barach, and it means to bless, to kneel. It, it, it means to, uh, to be blessed. Here, here's what I found interesting. It also means to be adored. And it's a word that's used in describing the form of praise to the Lord where you're kneeling before him and you're blessing him and you're adoring him. However, as I dug further, that word barach was not only used of the Lord. At times, that word barach was used when speaking to individuals and telling them that they were adored and that they were blessed. You put that together with what's going on here with Jabez. I'd like to submit to you that Jabez wasn't asking for riches or increase in material things. Jabez was asking to be adored. He was asking to be seen through the eyes of love. He didn't want, his, he didn't want a new identity. Jabez wanted God's identity. He wanted to know how God saw him. He wanted to see himself as God saw him. I can imagine him saying, I've lived my life in pain all of my days. I've borne the burden of my mother's pain all of my life. I've been reminded that for some reason, I've been a source of pain for her. And when someone says my name, all I can think of is the pain that was spoken over me. I don't want that anymore. I want to be free from the pain of my name. I want to know that your hand is covering me. I want to know that you adore me. Oh, that you would show me that you would adore me, O God of Israel. I submit to you that maybe God chose not to change his name because God wanted Jabez to know that his name was not a description of his worth, of his value, or his meaning before the throne of heaven. Jabez, when others speak your name, they speak out of pain. But when I, the God of heaven, speak your name, Jabez, when I say Jabez, I speak it with a tone that is filled with how much I love you, how much I delight in you, how much I adore you. And God granted what he asked. Jabez, I'm not going to replace your name. I'm going to redeem your name. Now, even you will speak your name in a sweeter way, with a sweeter tone, knowing that I adore you, knowing that I love you. Can you imagine that? For years, speaking your name, and every time somebody said Jabez, you just went, oh. For years, every time Jabez came out of your own mouth, what's your name? Jabez. And then finding out, as God grants what you ask, that he speaks your name with adoration and with delight. And now when somebody says, what's your name? Jabez. And your whole countenance shifts. It was in 1958, a baby boy was born into a family called the Lane family. Robert, who was the father, decided that he was going to name this first son of his Winner. So the son's name was Winner 
Lane. How could you go wrong with a name like that in life? What's your name? Winner? You win everything, don't you? Winner? A few years later, there was another boy born to the Lane family. And for some unknown reason, the father decided that he was going to name this boy Loser. Yes, exactly. How tragic would that be, walking through life with your name Loser? Who are you, Loser? But contrary to what his name said and contrary to all the expectations, Loser succeeded. He graduated from college and later became a sergeant with the New York City Police Department. And now no one feels comfortable calling him Loser. They've shortened his name to Lou. But he doesn't mind introducing himself as Loser because he wants people to know my name does not determine who I am. Author Sky Jatani, who's a CNMA pastor and scholar, and speaking of the ways that God works, says this, we do not worship a God who replaces. We worship a God who redeems. We worship a God who redeems. Jabez's story is about the power of God to redeem a name. But secondly, Jabez's story is about the power of God to redeem the ability to dream, to redeem the ability to dream. Maybe another way of saying it is this, God has the power to reshape your life's vision. And he reshapes it in a way that you begin to see what he sees. Jabez prayed, enlarge my border, that, that your hand will be with me, that you would keep me from harm. Some, some versions say, oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my territory. And when we see that on surface, we probably look at that and go, enlarge my territory. Lord, give me more. Give me more. Increase, God. Increase. Have you heard of that? Increase. Favor, God. I, I, give me your favor. You know what's interesting? We pray for God's favor, but we already have it. The psalmist says his anger may endure for a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. So we look at this as if we're saying, pray for what you already have. I don't think that's what Jabez was saying after, at all. I think what Jabez was praying was, God, expand my view of me or what, so that I, expand my view of me beyond what I can see. Be my covering because no one else has covered me up to now. And please don't let me live out of the curse of my name. I don't want to bear any pain and I don't want to bear, uh, bring pain on others. God, grant me this request that I can see me as you see me and I can see what you are doing in me and through me the way that you see what you're doing in me and through me. Enlarge my border. The pain of Jabez's name had limited himself. He, he had limited his view of himself and, and it limited his view of what he could do. In essence, Jabez's vision was hemmed in by his name. And he was asking God to take the borders off. God, let me dream. Let me see my life beyond what I see now because obviously you see something that I don't. And I want to see what you see. Dave Harvey is an author and a, a commentator. And he wrote a book called Rescuing Ambition. And this is what it says. For the past couple decades, I had a condition that kept me from sleeping well. The technical term was apnea. So I went to see the doctor. I'll remove your uvula, he said, and then you won't snore. You'll sleep better. Now, I didn't even know I had a uvula. And I freaked when he suggested its removal. For some reason, though, I let him do it. They cut out my uvula, and now I can sleep. But here's something I didn't expect, he goes on. When I lost my uvula, I found my dreams. You see, because I never slept well, I never dreamed. 
I know experts would say that I dreamed and I just didn't know it, but that doesn't matter because I don't ever remember dreaming. Not once. I was dreamless. That's a boring way to spend the night. I didn't even know that I'd lost my dreams until I found them, or rather, they were returned to me. Actually, they were rescued, airlifted from some cold, lifeless crevice uh, where dreams hibernate until the arrival of deep sleep or something like that. All this may sound strange, but it's true. My dreams were rescued by a guy with a scalpel. Lots of people live without dreams. They move from one day to the next without the refreshing effect of a memorable dream. But there are dreams we can lose that are much more significant than losing what I lost. Not the REM kind of dreams, but the dreams that drive us when we're awake. The dreams that cause us to reach beyond ourselves, to see beyond the present, and to live for something more. If you're having trouble holding on to those types of dreams, that's a real problem. Jabez was having trouble holding on to those types of dreams. And so he prayed, Lord, would you bless me? Would you, would, you, would, you, would you show me how you see me? Would you redeem my name? Would you redeem my ability to dream again so I can see beyond the borders of what I see and I would not be limited by the pain of my name? God is the God who has the ability and the power to redeem a name. God is a God who has the ability and the power to, uh, to redeem uh, our ability to dream again. God did this for me when I was a college student. You see, when I was nine years old, I remember getting uh, a verse uh, that, that from Jeremiah chapter 20, and I knew from that verse that God was doing something in my heart and it ended up being that God was calling me into ministry even before I came to faith in Christ. I didn't come to believe in Christ. I didn't come to faith in Christ until I was 17. But even then, at nine years old, there was a drawing and a calling on my life from God. And so when I turned 17, it was a reminder, of God reminded me of that time when I was, when I was uh, nine years old. But you see, I grew up in a, a, a denomination that we would call a Baptocostal denomination. We were Baptists who worshiped like Pentecostals. And in this denomination that I grew up in, when you were trained how to preach, you were not only trained how to look at the word and to uh, break the word down and to see it in all of its meaning, everything. you were also trained how to bring that word, how to bring it home, they used to say, how to wrap it up, how to get your hoop on. Now, the problem was I didn't have a hoop in me. I didn't know how to hoop. And now that I look at it, I laugh. It seems funny to me. But at that point, the name pastor was painful because what I saw was being called in the ministry in my limited view in a denomination where I couldn't hoop. Who wanted a pastor that couldn't hoop? (laughs) Who wanted a pastor who didn't know how to wrap it up? Who Who wanted a pastor who didn't know how to tune up? That's all I could see. That's all that was before me. And so the name pastor was painful. And there was a point in my life that I tried my best to escape the calling of pastor. But then my sophomore year at Nyack College came. And sitting in that chapel, Partington Hall, I heard God's voice telling me during a missions conference that he was calling me into this denomination that I had never heard of called the Christian and Missionary Alliance. And he gave me vision for what it was that he wanted me to do as a part of this denomination. And when I left 
college after my senior year, the first assignment I had was an associate pastorship at a church as far north and as far west in western Pennsylvania as you could go, a place called Girard, Pennsylvania. You step across the line and you were in Ohio. That's as far north and as far west as you could go. Now, in Girard, Pennsylvania, I was the only one that looked like me. And when my wife and I got married, we were the only ones that looked like us. And when our children came along, you get the picture. Can you imagine if I stood in the pulpit at Gerard, Pennsylvania, and wound it up and began to hoop? That's exactly the look that would have gotten him. But aren't you thankful we serve a God who sees beyond what we can see? Aren't you thankful we serve a God who knows more than we can go and sees more than we see? Now, you might be sitting here going, yeah, the name pastor, that's small talk. You have no idea the names that have been spoken over me. You have no idea the names that I live under. You have no idea the names that I call myself because of things that I've done and things that I've said and things that have happened in my family. And I can't see beyond that. Friend, let me encourage you today that God has the power to redeem your dreams. Let me encourage you today that God has the power to redeem your name because we serve a God who knows each and every one of us by name. You see, the Internal Revenue Service knows us by our tax ID number, but we serve a God who knows us by name. The Social Security Office knows us by our Social Security number, but I'm glad today that we serve a God who knows us by name. The HR department in your place of employment knows you by your employee ID number or your badge number, but I'm praising God today that we serve a God who knows us by name. The school that you attend, whether it be grade school or middle school or high school or university, knows you by your student ID number, but I'm thankful today that we serve a God who knows us by name. And if you're wondering what's happening right now, I'm tuning up. The families of your kids' friends know you as so-and-so's parents, but I'm glad today that we serve a God who knows us by name. Your insurance company knows you by your group number, but I'm glad today that we serve a God who knows us by name. The person that delivers your mail knows you by your house number or your apartment number or your rural route number, but I'm glad today that we serve a God who knows us by name. The person that the, the airline that you fly on when you take a trip knows you by your confirmation number. But I'm glad that we serve a God who knows us by name. The grocery deli knows us by your next in line number. But I'm glad we serve a God who knows us by name. The people who have wounded you, the people who have said words of derogatory terms that they never use to describe you or humiliate you or persecute you. They know you by those names, but I'm glad we serve a God who's the master, who's the creator, who's the giver, who's the sustainer of life, who sent his son to die for you and me to redeem us from the curse of the law. I'm glad we serve a God who knows us by name. And because he knows us by name, he knows what you've done. He knows what you've been through. He knows what's been done to you. He knows the painful words that you've spoken over yourself. He knows the painful words that have been spoken over you. And yet and still, he knows your destiny. And he has the power 
to redeem your name and to redeem your dream. I'm glad we serve a God who knows us by name. So rather than running from this God, rather than running from your name, why not run to God where he can redeem your name? Amen. 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 There are those in this room right now. You've been living under the name of shame that's been brought on you. Either you brought it on yourself or someone's brought it on because of their actions against you. There are those in this room who've been walking under a ceiling of a limiting or painful name that because of things that were intentionally or unintentionally done to you. There are those who lost your ability to dream God-sized dreams for your life because all you can see is the name that you live under. I'm glad we also serve a healing God who can heal the wounds of your soul. And I'm glad that we serve a God who is ever, ever present in the time of trouble, who makes it very clear he won't pass us by. Amen. Pass. Me not, oh gentle Savior. Hear my humble cry, hear my humble cry. While on others, while on others now are gone. Do not pass me by, not pass me by. I'm calling on the Savior, Savior, oh blessed Savior, hear my humble cry, hear my humble cry, hear my humble cry, while on others, why on others now are I hear you calling, do not pass me by, my Lord. Let me have thy throne of mercy. Let me have thy throne of mercy. Find a sweet relief. Kneeling there in deep contrition. Kneeling there in deep contrition. Oh Lord, help my unbelief, my Lord. I'm calling on the Savior, oh, blessed Savior, hear my humble cry, hear my humble cry, while on the earth, I hear you calling, do not pass me by. I hear you calling, do not pass me by. 